0: Molly McDonald, Neon Lady, Beauty's that which obeys is bought or borrowed. Cause my heart's become a crooked hotel. Full of rumors But it's I who pays the rent For these fingered face are the tuners And I make 16 solid half-hour friendships Every evening of Mrs. Annie Johnson Cause they told me everybody's gotta pay their dues And I explained that I had overpaid them So overdue I went to the company store And the clerk there said that they had just been invaded So I set sail in a teardrop And escaped beneath the door sill Cause the smell of her perfume Echoes in my head still Cause I see my people trying to drown the sun In weekends of whiskey sours Cause how many times can you wake up in this comic book And plant flowers
1: Welcome back. It's been a few weeks since we connected here and I've got a few new sources I'd like to share and uh, some of this journey I'd like to share. That was um, Rodriguez, the opening music there. Um, I was inspired to track down that documentary. It's called Searching for Sugar Man and uh, watched it recently and absolutely loved it again. I listen to his music regularly. But that particular song, it's called Cause, and uh, I just find every single lyric in that song unbelievably poetic. Um, and particularly the one about talking to Jesus at the sewer, I think it resonates with what I want to talk about today. So we'll get into that. But I just wanted to share, um, if I've talked to musicians here where I am, And they sounded a bit like him, but they've never heard of him. And I think you can hear his music and appreciate it. But when you watch his documentary, uh, which won best documentary film a few years ago, maybe ten years ago, um, you just appreciate it all so much more. So that that I um I even welled up a few times when I watched the documentary recently because. It's celebrating a guy who, at that time, he's my age, and uh, and just his work and his ethic and his creativity. It, like it was like in oblivion for twenty years, and then all of a sudden got rediscovered essentially, and went went on tour. I mean, one of the one of the commentators in the movie said something like, "You know, we all dream of being recognized the way he was," and he deserved it more than any of us. So it's a really, really fun ride. Uh, I I was struck by a mixture, mixture of the cultures, the Mexican culture mixing with USA culture, mixing with South African culture in the film as well. It's, it's a really fun journey. So I just wanted to share that and uh, point you there if you're interested. Um, now, I do want to get into a few new sources, uh, and today, what I want to talk about really is um, well, I'll, I'll I'll cue it up by explaining some of the background and how we got here and how how this path is has, has uh, taken a a new and positive slight twist, but uh, all in all in good directions. Anyway, um, the yeah the sources I'd like to share that are kind of some of these sources I'm going to share are Catholic sources, so I'll get to that in a second. But the first ones I'll share are just um, insight, sense-making sources, I would say. And, uh, well, maybe I'll first start by just bringing up to speed sort of the background of this podcast and the name and how we've gotten here because <laughs> we've been on quite a journey. Um what happened was I moved to Bahrain in uh, the fall of 2019. And I was just bursting with all of this knowledge I had been consuming and not sharing, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what inspired me to start the podcast. And, I, and I've never looked back. I really have enjoyed the whole process and the whole journey. But um, the first three episodes after the calibration episode, was really focused on the Unabomber and his, uh, his thesis, if you will. Um, I was inspired, I think I watched the series, I don't know if it was HBO or one of those miniseries. series um, And so I looked into that much deeper, but it's kind of amazing to me now, because most of the world, most, I don't know, uh, at least a third, I'd say, can see the dangers of technocracy and technology. And that's really what he was screaming about. That's what his book is, The Anti-Tech Revolution. Um, and so that's, I had no idea <laughs> that the world was going to take us that way. But anyway, that's how that started. And then all of a sudden, Corona hit us all in uh, in the first quarter of 2020. And, and so I really uh, retuned the podcast towards sense-making. How to make sense of it all, and how to, uh, and who are the most reliable sources along the way, and and sort of my journey and my experiences along that way, and that's been fantastic. And around a year ago, uh, and I was also very focused for two years. I was very very focused on finding the most sustainable off grid sort of situation, because I I could see that Canada was going to be a problem. Um, well, a year ago. Just as fate would have it, I crossed into the USA, into Texas. And, uh, and one of the first places I visited was the OK Corral, <laughs> which got me really reflective. And it was amazing. But, um, but it made me realize that, that there's a level of governance. We sort of learned through the Wild West. And there's a level of governance that the Americans and the founders figured out that is just the right level, in my opinion. I mean that was a journey. I wasn't set out to try and learn any of this. It just kind of came to me as I was experiencing USA, as I was uh, journeying up to the Canadian border at that time. And um, and so that's really that's really the, the past year. The focus has been more about how to uh, be on grid. Have how can, how can you have one foot in the matrix and one foot out essentially? <laughs> and that's really what this has all all been a. Uh, focused on in the last 12 months, and I've been sharing my experiences and my sources along that journey. Uh, So let me share a few kind of recent ones here, um, and then I'll get into the uh, Catholic journey, and I've got a great clip at the end I'll explain as well. Jordan Peterson and E. Michael Jones, they're my consistent go-tos. Jordan isn't always on. Uh, For example. Like he's a mainstream academic. I mean, that's been his journey. Uh, he's had like two or three careers, really, if you count writing. And now he's a now he's a professional speaker, um, professor, and psychotherapist. So he's he's uh, full throttle. But um, but I think the Canadian mainstream academe, even though he's a rebel within that frame, he's still quite reluctant to talk about, uh, I'm sure he stumbled on a lot of content he just stays away from. Anyway, and and even the woke culture, he sees through a lot of it, but this week he had an episode with Dave Rubin, and I adore Dave as well, his work, and um, they're an outstanding team, actually. Well, the podcast episode was about Dave and his gay husband, uh Figuring out a way to have their own children, fertilizing eggs—I think they found online. But anyway, I'm not trying to minimize that. I think their heart and soul is good, and they're—they want to do the right thing. I guess it's partly Jordan's—you know—he's in love with technology, and he's mainstream academic. There's certain—he's not able to see. I—I'd say the flaws in in some of that thinking or maybe he is and he's just not quite saying it (laughs) but anyway um, we'll get into that a little bit later but um, so uh, he's been great he continues to be great and his podcast theme is largely about the research for his latest book which is we who wrestle with God so it gives a really uh, diverse spectrum of experts and conversations which has been really amazing Especially his maybe two or three episodes on the on free speech and what it really means. Free speech is really letting people think freely. And uh, he's, he's an unbelievable leader on that topic. Um, um, another podcast is called the Maverick Mindcast. These are all on the podcast page uh, linked. Maverick Mindcast. I think she sounds Wisconsin. But anyway, I just find her really honest and genuine and easy to relate to and easy to listen to. And she gets excellent guests. One she's had regularly now, his name is Wayne McRoy. And their latest episode was about a theory that Wayne has, basically that um, the powers that be that are all taking us in these strange directions right now, well, one of the things they want is they want to put technology into people and make them, I can't remember that word, <laughs> the hybrid between human and robot. Um, well, his theory is that their first step in that is trying to make uh, kids autistic. That's one, it's not an accident that autism rates are going off the charts because autism um, is on that spectrum towards sort of computer, computerized thinking. And uh, so he's got a really interesting theory there, and their conversation with that is outstanding. Nick Bryant, I, I learned about him uh, just this week. I haven't followed a lot of his material, but I really like where I've browsed his site and his blog. I really like where he's going, and, it, and it's digging into the Epstein Black Book, and not only that, digging into um, the Watergate break-in and the connections with that, so I'm dying to to follow Nick and uh, and learn more about his research. But to me, he looks like he's cut through some of these rabbit holes nicely. John Rapaport, I've got a quote on the podcast page as well, and consistent, consistently, I mean, I think two or three blog posts a day, or at least two anyway, and I can't resist, at least one of them, I can't resist reading every single day because... It's the focus around uh, imagination and creativity and how this whole matrix mentality is bunk if we just realize what we're capable of in, when we tune into our own inspired imagination. So I just absolutely love that and saved one of his latest quotations on the podcast page here. So I, I, I wanted to mention or remind everybody where the, the brand Petrified Wood where the title came from. And it was really some advice that I had back in those days, fall of 2019, that it's a good uh, icon, essentially, for what men should be striving for. As they get older, they should be getting less and less reactive, more and more philosophical, more and more sage, more and more wise. And that's really what Petrified Wood, the image of that, is meant to be um, portraying. uh, the connotation. So um, so that's how this, and, and I think this today, a little bit of a shift um, towards Catholic and the meaning of Catholic, and I'll get into that in a second, but um, is all part of that, in my opinion. Uh, I just want to tell a story of kind of my journey on some of this. This was before the whole Roe versus Wade thing came up. I didn't even know that that was... Until it leaked, I didn't know it was even being reconsidered. But anyway, um, and then I'll talk about some of the Catholic sources I've been following and some of that journey, and then I'll. But I'll let uh, Mr. Doctor Taylor Marshall to take it home at the end here. But uh, it was really quite funny. I was, I was at a, uh, a brewery, uh, nearby. Uh, this is maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, and long before a row was was a topic. And one of the young servers, real sweetheart. I feel like she's a niece to me now, but because I've gotten to know them. But um, one of them was having the most strange uh, nausea symptoms. I mean, this is evening. This is maybe eight o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night, and she's just looks fine, working fine, feeling fine, and then all of a sudden, boom, nauseous, and I has to run out to the back alley and and throw up, and then goes back to work. <laughs> and it was really, I mean she was just being open and honest about it which you know some kidding came out she's young she's really really young she's uh maybe just turned 19. but um some kidding came up because it was like a morning sickness sort of experience and i know nothing about her personal relationships i really only know her her at her work um but, so, I uh, didn't tease her too much, but I, I could see that there was a little bit of a concern, there, maybe not a big one, but somehow that got the whole conversation about pregnancy and one of her older co-workers, not old at all, she was maybe around 30, maybe late 20s, was there as well. It And uh, my own experience here, I'll share my own experience with this because there's parallels here, but... I mean, I'm cradle Catholic. I explained that. and I was raised Catholic. always liked that whole uh, philosophy. But then, uh, like any boy, you know, when he's 16, 18, 20, you start to question everything. It took me a while before I got away from Catholic. probably 25, 26, 27, I got away from it completely. Um, so I've been away from it for, like, 25 years. But... Um, and I never quite... I have to admit, as an adult, I never quite got the objection the Catholic Church had with contraception. So if the Pope, this was way back in the old days, maybe in the 80s, goes to Mexico and is not in favor of prophylactic use at that time, I didn't get that. And I thought that that was irresponsible of the Church. But um, I've come way back around to see a lot of this, and Taylor Marshall actually, expresses my opinion on the matter now. <laughs> but this um this night, uh, this whole conversation came up. Oh, and so then when I got married in my mid-30s, my wife and I both, I mean, we were both going through the same phase of life. She was 18 year, eighteen months younger than me. Um, but we were both going through the same phase, which was like maybe we're not going to meet the one. I mean, maybe this is life for us. <laughs> so we were just overjoyed to connect and meet in the way we did. It was a really natural, uh, love story. And, but the, it's really funny now looking back, but at the time we were both indifferent about kids. Like we were really excited to meet and marry. That was, and we even got married by a Catholic priest, even though my wife is not. Um, But we were indifferent about kids. It barely even came up, ever. Like, we just, we just, I think that maybe was the extent of the conversation. Like, not sure it's meant to be. And, you know, if it happens, it happens. But if it doesn't, maybe it's not meant to be. You know, that that was like, (laughs) that's as much thought as the whole conversation was in the relationship, which is really crazy looking back. But anyway, we, um, what happened was, um... Maybe a year or two, year or two later, yeah, say two years later, uh, we accidentally got pregnant, and uh, and we warmed up to the idea. Like all of a sudden, we're like, huh. And I think physically, in every way, my wife really warmed up to that idea. Um, it was very early days, and I think this. I don't know the the percentages, but I think it's probably more common in the first pregnancy to, anyway, uh, I don't remember the the date exactly. Maybe it was six weeks or something, but we had a miscarriage, which is a very emotional, traumatic thing for a young woman at a, a physical and psychological level. She doesn't even know what's happening, but she gets very attached to that baby, and then it's very traumatic. Uh... Once we realize that you start talking about that, everybody's got miscarriage stories. Anyway, the reason I'm telling this very private and personal information is what happened was we warmed up in that period. We warmed up to the idea of having babies. We got really into running after that, long distance running and trained for a marathon. So it wasn't maybe two years until, again, until we were ready to actually try and have our first, and, and our entire marriage has been about those babies, uh, and overjoyed and life-changing, and, uh, and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, any other way. Um, so this takes me back to this story in the brewery with these young servers, and they're talking about, and we're, you know, kidding about morning sickness and things, and the old, the one that's high, high 20s probably, is saying, oh, I never wanted babies, I don't want babies, da-da-da-da, like this. And I'm like, you know, I was very close to that at one time. And I told him the story I just shared. And and it ended up being the most important thing I've done in my life, having babies with my wife. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if I was having an impact on the one in her high 20s. The brainwashing is severe, by the way, for women... I don't know, I assume it's from 20 to 40, uh, that the, it's all about the career, and your body, and your looks, and da 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 da, da. Uh, the brainwashing is severe, about about putting babies a distant second, third, fourth in your life plan, but anyway, I th- could tell that the conversation did have an impact on the younger one, who was, who was nauseous, <laughs> and, uh, and then, and this happens to me sometimes, maybe this happens to everybody, but all of a sudden, like, this levels of truth were coming out of my mouth, That I, I mean, you know, I'm putting thoughts together as my mouth is moving. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I said something like, well, I know one, uh, one way you can solve the problem about unwanted pregnancies. I said, uh, maybe you only sleep with the guy that you would be overjoyed to reproduce with. Maybe that, and then you'll, you could have bad timing still, but you'll never have an unwanted child because that's why you're with that man. You've decided, and I know, I know what we'll call it. We'll call it natural selection. The original woman's right to choose. That Everyone respects a woman's right to choose who she's going to, Um, procreate with I mean everyone backs off and respects that that's her choice and it's an important one anyway I I didn't go completely that far but I did say that say that uh, imagine if you only hooked up with guys you were committed to and you wanted to reproduce with and they wanted to reproduce with you imagine that there goes the concept of an unwanted pregnancy. Timing could be off sometimes for your, whatever else you've got going on, but you'll never have a baby that you don't want in that scenario. And so that came up <laughs> just out of my mouth, and um, and then this week, because of all this robe, r- robe uh, palava, the uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall takes that whole conversation further and funnier. And so I've tacked maybe 12 minutes on at the end of this podcast today of his version of that, which I think is just outstandingly brilliant and and entertaining, all of the above. So I'll share that here in a second. I had a slight technical glitch here, so I just have to re-record a small piece. Hopefully there's no repetition. I'll make sure. (laughs) Anyhow, um, I just want to turn towards wrapping up by sharing sort of how I've shifted towards Catholicism uh, in recent weeks and really in the last couple of years, but um, the title of the episode, um, True on Multiple Levels of Analysis, I got that definition from Jordan Peterson directly. I couldn't find the link yesterday. But many of the definitions I have on the podcast page are along those lines, but I like that one the best. <laughs> um, you know, archaeology, history, psychology, philosophy, you know, there's so many levels. But anyhow, I, I've shared in the past that I'm cradle Catholic, so born and raised Catholic and Catholic school systems. Um, and I just I took a lot for granted because it was just my life experience but I'm very grateful now. And I i, I never—I was always warm to it, um, but I'm very grateful now for that, that experience. However, like any uh, teenage boy, 16, 18, 20, I started questioning things. And by the time I was 25, 26, 27, I definitely started to drift. That was partly to do with uh, travel for jobs and girlfriends but uh i drifted myself i mean that was i was in charge of that and uh, and i definitely drifted so i'd say almost 25 years of being a long way away from catholic and at times a bit uh cynical and negative towards it but those were very short periods it was mostly just inactive anyway um what really has happened in terms of my attitude towards it is Uh, Jordan Peterson came along. His initials are J.B.P. And just like John the Baptist, uh, he warmed me up to the idea of Logos in his own way. I don't think he used that word that often, but um, the power of truthful speech and getting your thoughts together, using your words, basically, and as well as the power of philosophical thinking. His lecture series called... um, Uh, The psychological significance of the biblical stories really, really warmed me up to coming back towards the biblical teachings. I could see the value of it uh, in a new, fresh, and different way. And even some of the artwork he introduced through that I bought and had in my house and still have here means a lot to me. Um, So that kind of warmed me up to the idea. And then along came, it was because of corona, and I was tracking, finding new sources because a lot of my sources before Corona let me down, and uh, Dave Cullen was a guy that I trusted, I still do, and he had Michael Jones on at one time, and I could just hear the truth um, and genuinity of Michael Jones and his work, and that caused me almost immediately to order his book, and I had it delivered by FedEx in Kenya, I was up near Mombasa at that time, and I actually had to, I actually stayed in Kenya maybe three weeks longer than I planned because I was waiting for that book <laughs> to, to, to arrive. And eventually got there just before my birthday. Uh, I guess this is almost exactly two years ago. And um, and I crossed into Tanzania, and I read that book that year. might have taken me six or eight months. It's like reading. It's, it's pretty dense. It's a f- history of philosophy, really, in a lot of ways. Um, and the philosophy of the Catholic Church, really, as well. And it gave me the substance to come back to Catholicism in a more logical and rational way, less devotional per se, although, you know, it's all in the mix. But, um, so I had really warmed back up and I actually started, uh, I never got involved with any churches in Tanzania. I I guess I was reading then and, and lots of time in nature. And then I got to Serbia, it was definitely on my mind, but I was uncomfortable that there could be Corona rules and I wouldn't know the language. I just never... There's a guy that was inviting me to join him, and I wish I did go on a Sunday and get, get to meet the Catholics in that community I was in, but I never did until I got to the USA, really. I don't think I went to Mexico, even, but it was a lot of because of the corona rules. I didn't want to experience the Catholic Church under those crazy rules. Anyway, so I really got involved in this area, re-involved, I mean, in terms of active uh, participation, but... Um, the journey, uh, oh, and the one other twist on this is my son's very good friend died uh, tragically. I mean, he, he had some health issues, so his parents always knew there was going to be a risk, but he might have been 11 or 12, and he died tragically. And uh, my son and I dialed in to the funeral, and it was a Catholic ceremony. And I knew that that family was traditional Catholic, but I was pleasantly surprised to see this, the entire ceremony facing the crucifix. I think it was in English. I can't remember for sure, but I think the, the ceremony was in English but facing the front. but And there was just something really right about that fellow, very humble, uh, a lot of humility there coming from the, the leader of the, of the ceremony. And, um, and so I just kind of noted that. And then when I met a good friend now, in Mexico a little more than a year ago I don't know somehow the concept of traditional Latin mass I didn't even know what TLM stood for but he was a big fan he's a big advocate of TLM and he's found some in Mexico um, but he could on our journey to Texas it was a two-day road trip he could help me understand the merits of the TLM and that experience I didn't know much about the SSPX and the um, sort of branching off, they were ex, four bishops were excommunicated. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre was sort of the leader. I've shared a link to his talk, which is unbelievably brilliant, in my opinion. Um, but I got to know some of that history, and, and then at the same time, Michael Jones, in the last maybe six, eight months, he, he was probably raised in TLM, but he sees it as being used against the church in terms of being too divisive. Um, and there's some merits to that, but I've, I've really warmed up to it. And, um, I'm quite sure my topic next week or the week after will be based on, uh, Dr. Marshall's talk on the traditional mass. He does a similar hilarious exaggeration of traditional mass versus where some of the, my ways the novus ordo has gone um and so i'm quite sure that'll be the next installment (laughs) but i just wanted to share because that's what really this podcast has been me sharing my journey and sense making and coping and uh and so catholic fundamentally like the novus ordo mass the mainstream masses and i've been lucky with maybe three local priests i've been a big fan of um actually none that I haven't been a big fan of, and now I've had two TLM experiences. One was SSPX and one is, was more mainstream, but I think I'm probably going to lean more towards TLM in the next year. Um, I'm a very big fan of the thinking behind it, even though I'm not that familiar with or specifically Lefebvre and the company. But I just want to share some of the sources in that, in that regard. I've found, uh, I mean, what we're all craving, you know, is this, is to get our heads right in terms of our philosophies and making the right decisions in our life and a community that can support us in that. That's what, I mean, and that's really uh, what I'm hoping for. And uh, I haven't really connected with a lot of the community yet, but it's really nice going and celebrating that way. With, uh, with the Catholics, so I'll just share some of these sources that are on the podcast page now, linked, and um, and then I'll hand it over to Dr. Marshall. Um, well, Patrick Coffin, I've mentioned many times in the past, and he's, he's a TLM fan, uh, advocate, and he really has an incredible understanding of the Catholic history and trajectory. Um, Taylor Marshall is also a traditional Mass fan. Uh, The Meaning of Catholic is a podcast I discovered because Dr. Jones was a guest there, and I've listened to a few of those recently, and they're outstanding, especially the one they did on marriage. I mean, it's just really nice and refreshing to hear the Catholic view of the traditional marriage. Um, Taylor Marshall, I probably, on some politics, we might disagree, but man, he's, I don't know, uh, most of his podcasts I get a lot out of. I really, really enjoy um, and then I've got the link to Archbishop Lefebvre, and I watched three films. Two were Catholic-themed, one, and they both came to me um, from Dr. Jones' recommendations, but The Black Robe uh, and The Mission, two really big pictures that helped remind me the value and uh, like the incredible work that the Jesuit missionaries did back in the day. And you can really feel their dedication. And their, their vow of obedience is very, very high, which probably made them the most corruptible. But they're a big part of the problem right now with splintering the Catholic Church and the Vatican, etc. I, I don't know enough to talk about that. But um, but if you want to be inspired by their heart and soul and work and dedication, the black robe and the mission. Two excellent pictures. There's collateral damage in the. the not everything they set out to do uh, is ends up with good outcomes, but but wow, the work they did to get us to where we are <laughs> as a civilization. Uh, and then somewhere along the piece, Doctor Jones mentioned Sophie's Choice, which I've never watched. I thought Sophie's Choice had something to do with horses. I don't know why. <laughs> so anyway, I tracked it down, and it's a extremely well acted and well written and uh, film. And I and Uh, But I don't know enough of what the main takeaway is supposed to be. I mean, I know what my takeaways were, but I'd like to hear more film analysis, of really. But uh, it's basically a woman who did her her damnedest to be a good mom and be a good person. And the Second World War, uh, she lost her children and basically got to a point where life wasn't worth living in the end, which is very, very tragic. But anyway it's quite a journey and um, extremely well acted so uh, I'll have to do a little bit more research on on, on any more meaning there uh, I can't I can't even uh, speculate anyway enjoy dr. Marshall I hope uh, it's really nice to reconnect and and I think the next one will be less than two weeks and we'll be along the lines of uh, traditional mass versus the Novus Ordo all right take care enjoy <music>
2: I'm Neil McDougall and as painful as it is Logos is definitely rising the sex strike following the overturning of Roe v. Wade there's uh, a lot of I don't know, a lot. A group. But yeah, I guess we could say it's a lot. There are a lot of women who are siding with uh, this young lady right here. She says, No sex with men until Roe v. Wade is protected. You perhaps have been seeing this. Here's a another one here. Um... Oh, God bless this poor lady. I'm on strike. No choice for me. No sex for him. Booyah. She got him. She got him. And what I'm going to suggest today is that we raise the stakes. Because here's a little bit of power that these women perhaps did not have. This is, uh, what's her name? Melissa Milano. Melissa Milano. I don't know. She's on a TV show a long time ago. She's become one of these angry feminists. She says, we're not going to have sex anymore because we don't want to get pregnant. And then the, uh, I don't know who this is, Wizard of Oz. What's her name? Let me know in the live chat. Who Who is this? Can't remember her name. She said, you have that power all along, my dear. And what we're seeing from this aftermath of the overturn of Roe v. Wade is a return to the understanding i mean this is going to this is going to rock your world people i hope you're sitting down this could even offend you you might be offended and you might click off this video or this podcast and be like man this is crazy this guy the way he thinks is crazy here's the thing okay god almighty god created male body parts hold hold with me here male body parts to fit with female body parts and the reason he did that was to procreate new human persons i know right you're blown away are you offended that i just say the most politically incorrect thing ever god created our bodies i'm a man My wife is a woman. And together with the anatomy that God gave us, believe it or not, the purpose for that was to procreate. We were blessed by God. We were able to have eight kids. So if you never knew that growing up, you learned it today on the Dr. Taylor Marshall Show, which reminds me to go ahead and say, if you just learned that and I just blew your mind, here is... My suggestion, I am challenging women everywhere, especially hardcore, hardened feminists. Here is my proposal to up the ante and to raise the stakes. Okay, so I put this tweet up here. It got some good traction. And then this is a, a capture of where I think after Roe v. Wade, we should be going as a society. It's time for women everywhere, especially hardcore feminists, it's time for them to adopt this new measure, this suggestion that I'm going to make, and I think they're going to love it. Okay, here's my suggestion. You don't have access to abortion. Roe v. Wade overturned. Women are going on a sex strike. I'm saying let's up the ante. All right? Women should only ever have sex under one condition and one condition only. First, the man, I mean, we're not talking about just as nice and takes you on a date, buys you dinner. No, that's worthless. These guys got to step up. What they got to do is make a vow to God. Do you agree with me, ladies? I want to see before any women have sex ever again, the man has to make a vow, a solemn vow to God, and it has to be in front of your family, your friends, and there needs to be legal witnesses involved. We're taking this to the level of legality. And he has to promise in his vow that he's going to love you. Not just lust after you. He's going to love you. And when you get pregnant, he promises that he is going to care for those babies, educate those babies, pay the cost of those babies, and support and create a safe family environment. I mean, can I get an amen from the ladies? So don't ever have sex until a man makes a vow to you and to God, and you, you better have your family there, your friends, your grandparents, witnesses. I mean, we should probably, you take your, and probably I think the guy, he should probably have, you know, his best friend there, whoever his, you know, the man that's his best, we could call him best man. Best man, he should be standing right next to the guy when he makes these vows because if that guy tries to get out of the vows, his best man is going to have to hold him accountable for that, okay? So I really think this is, I mean, the feminists are going to like this, okay? So women don't have any sex ever until the guy comes. He makes a vow to God and to you. In front of family, witnesses, we're going to have whatever whatever we're going to call her, maid of honor, best man right there next to him. And it's going to be administered, I think, by a representative of God, like a priest. And he'll be able to do this, oversee this vow and witness it on behalf of God and the state. Okay, so the man, he's going to promise to love you. He's going to promise to never cheat on you. He's going to promise to take care of the babies, raise the babies, provide a home and a household. I mean, he's going to have to totally step up or else you're not having sex, okay? And he's going to stay with you till death, okay? I know this is a big deal. might sound unrealistic. So you might think this is extreme, but the guy, I'm proposing like something very, very radical here. Not only is he going to promise to love you, never cheat on you, uh, raise your babies, he's going to stay with you. I get this. You're going to make him say this. All right, you're gonna say it too, but he's gonna say, Till death do us part. Like, we're gonna, y'all are gonna be united until one of you dies. And unless he promises that, you do not have sex with any man. Absolutely not. A vow to her. He promises to be faithful to her, never cheat, raise the kids, be a good man. And the key is, Till death do us part. It just hit me right now. What if when when we get feminists to start doing this and, and getting excited about this, what if the man and the woman, before they did this contract, this covenant, and, and and once they make the covenant and the contract, they can have sex. Okay, that's the deal. All right. But until that happens, you can't have it. All right. We're going to hold the standard here. But what if, it'd be kind of cool. Hear me out. Hear me out. It would be cool if the man and the woman, in order to end the sex strike, right? Because the woman's on sex strike, check, unless you make a vow to me to be only for me till death do his part, I'm not going to have sex. What if a symbol to end the sex strike and to say we're now united, we can now have sex, what if they exchanged a gift in front of everybody? Something small but a kind of a gift that would remain with them, something maybe they could wear, you know, that they could see all the time. I mean, a ring, that would be cool, right? Something beautiful, you know, you could always have it with you. It would always remind you, hey, I made this promise, this covenant till death do us part. I think we can fix the world in a post Roe v. Wade where there is no abortion. Every baby is welcome because there's a mom and a dad who have made vows to God and to each other to create a nest and to create a sanctuary and to create a safe place for new human life to enter into the world. And that's why I'm suggesting this structure, because ultimately it's going to protect Human life. And those babies will grow up with love and protection and grace and education from that man and woman who are bound together by this vow that they made to God. And what that's going to do is then those babies are going to grow up and they're going to be more healthy physically, mentally, and spiritually. There will be less wounds in society, women and men who are not on sex strike and are having sex every weekend with random people and with strangers, you don't, you don't want to make a vow with them unless there's some sort of great sign of interior change or repentance. Because remember, part of the institution that I'm talking about here that I'm suggesting would have some kind of a vow, about till death do us part. There has to be a bond and a consistency and a lack of betrayal. There needs to be bonding power, glue between the man and the woman. And that's why there has to be a complete sex strike, as the feminists are saying, until we can get these vows put in before God. It's the latter. And once you start to accept that, you'll start accepting more things about the truths of historic Christianity, which we call Catholicism. Thanks for watching. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, so go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And keep if, keep up that sex strike, if you're single, until you make vows, sacramental vows, before God and His Church.